0: Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with the Moving Target. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC, AAPA, and AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the Claim Credit button on the webinar console. Otherwise, please go to covid19.dkbmed.com, navigate to our multi-specialty episodes, and select the webinar to claim credit. Today's learning objective is to describe current data pertaining to rebound infections after treatment with nirmeltrevir plus ritonavir. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, as well as in-kind support from DKB Med. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Faith. And as we're heading into June of 2022, I I think we have hoped that the uh, pandemic is in our rearview mirror. But of course, the virus continues to to cause issues, and some, I think, are important for you and your patients to be aware of. So I hope I'll provide a little bit of context. Um, I've recently traveled overseas, and I'd say um, uh, my sense of being through several airports are, at least both in the United States and abroad, little concerned by the majority of people uh, for the virus. Now, now. some of that is because after the Omicron surge of this past winter, numbers had declined, but uh, the subvariants of Omicron have uh, continued to evolve. They're uh, more uh, transmissible than the original Omicron variant from December. And although we haven't seen a dramatic uptick in deaths or hospitalizations, numbers, as you can see here, are rising. And importantly, uh, you know, the Omicron did cause a significant number of deaths, perhaps proportionately less, but overwhelmingly they were in older people. And this is despite the fact that people 65 and older, as you can see here in the bar graphs, are highly immunized. So the uh, mRNA vaccines that are available continue to do a very good job if you're immunized, and especially if you're boosted, keeping you out of the hospital uh, with severe COVID-19 or other complications and consequences. But I, I do think it's important that even with a virus, it seems to be less pathogenic than earlier Delta or Alpha variants. Omicron, especially for our elderly populations and people with multiple comorbidities, or people that may not respond well to the vaccine still poses significant challenges. And the evolution continues to really evolve, and this is in part will happen because with RNA viruses, there are still millions of infections occurring worldwide every day. And these always provide opportunities for mutation and further spread. And What you can see from uh, uh, some of the original Omicron uh, uh, variants that were first detected in in the sort of medium purple have been replaced by subvariants such as 1.1, 1.2, and now the new kid on the block is 2.12.1, which is now accounting for the majority in a nationwide surveillance by the CDC. But there is some regional variation on this. So far, though, it's not at all clear that uh, these new subvariants are any more virulent, uh, causing greater illness, but uh, they are more transmissible. And I think we're all probably have had increased numbers of people calling us, family, friends, patients uh, with infections that we're aware of. And importantly, of course, reported cases um, are usually through lab testing. And so many are either not even seeking diagnosis at this point or using the home antigen tests, which are certainly much less reported uh, uh, than uh, the lab-based systems. So, uh, uh, you know, treatments have been pretty set, certainly in the hospital, as we talk about another topic, but in the outpatient arena, uh, the issue of the protease inhibitor, uh, which is Trelivir ritonavir going by the trade name Paxlovid, uh, has now become the most widely prescribed treatment, whereas that was formerly held by monoclonal antibodies. Uh, But what's happened are increasing reports of so-called rebound, uh, whereby people have taken a drug, feel better, uh, but then in the abundance of caution, perhaps, or because they've had a recurrence of symptoms, have indications that the virus is again active. So last week, the uh, Centers for Disease Control did issue this health advisory, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but by way of background, and this is not unique to SARS-CoV-2, and we see it within influenza, are that during the initial phases of immune control, uh, there's often decreasing amount of virus that then subsequently rebounds. And this was seen um, in the uh, uh, initial Paxilvid pivotal trial information submitted by the FDA all the way back in December, where uh, there was a figure that did show that uh, the amount of virus seemed to increase in a minority of patients, Um, and that was uh, whether there are any resistance uh, mutations or not that might pose issues. And then on the right-hand side is a report uh, that was filed as a preprint that um, just gives an indication of what happened Is someone that took the drug, witnessed by the green bar, and had quick amelioration of symptoms. And you can see uh, an increase in cycle threshold value, which would mean there's less virus. But then within a couple of days of cessation, you see at day nine, uh, the amount of virus detected by PCR fell to 18 uh, cycle threshold, indicating probably that people are again infectious. There was some symptoms and then uh, relief again over a short duration, probably as immune uh, um, issues kicked in. So we still don't know the clear mechanism, but looking at this right-hand portion of this slide, I think one of the leading possibilities are people now are very cognizant, they're more aware of Paxlovid, they're calling their doctors, they're getting a home test straight away, uh, they may only have symptoms briefly, they jump on the medicine, it works well, but. Uh, especially since these newer Omicron variants um, have become really masters of some degree of immune evasion, you suppress the virus, so therefore your body really hasn't engaged in its B or T cell specific responses, you stop the five-day course, the, the levels bound up, Uh, In terms of the virus, you have a minor recrudescence of symptoms that then is uh, controlled later. Now, what the remedy is for this isn't clear. Some people have suggested a 10-day course instead of five days. Unclear uh, rebound would even occur after 10 days, and of course, this is a good question for a clinical trial. But what the CDC has issued is just some statements and I've incorporated some additional information into this slide is a return of symptoms. and this seems to happen regardless of whether someone's immunized. Um, not clear how often this happens. There's a two percent frequency, so says the drug manufacturer. Um, and, you know, one concern was whether transmission may occur during this rebound period. Um, one preprint again, which, uh, you know, we'll wait till the full publication, but indicated they were following 10 non-immunocompromised patients and two seem to infect people in their household following uh, this rebound period. Now, where do you see this tends to be two to eight days after cessation of the medication? But on the right-hand side, what the health advisory says is that they still feel for people at uh, high risk for progression, uh, who are still uh, ambulatory, that uh, this drug is still highly recommended. It's still a top line uh, recommended drug. Uh, but remember, these were all trials in the unimmunized, and how much of an impact this has in people that are immunized and boosted is less clear. At the moment, the CD says no evidence for additional treatment, and indeed, The uh, FDA EUA is only for a five-day course, if you might remember within five days. But this health advisory did issue some advice, which I think gives some pause potentially uh, when we're prescribing the drug just for consideration, which we'll talk about shortly. And that is if you do have a rebound, you have to sort of re-isolate for five days and wear a mask for another 10 days. So if someone's isolated for five days and they're starting to wear a mask, But it's day seven or eight and they have a rebound of symptoms, then you're tacking on another five days of isolation uh, because people may be infectious and uh, transmit virus. And uh, the CDC encouraged people to report such cases to Pfizer as well as the FDA MedWatch, and those um, links are uh, below the forms here on the bottom part of the slide. So uh, just as a reminder, for uh, 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 treatment indications under emergency use authorization, as it's still an investigational drug, uh, you have to start within five days of symptoms in adolescents or adults weighing at least 40 pounds. People have to have risk factors for severe progression, and those I think we're all very familiar with now. And also have a confirmed test. Now, for me, um, you know, some of my patients that might have Um, for example, uh, COPD, but they're 50 or, you know, they're 65, but in relatively excellent health and have had double boosted. I've actually been saying perhaps not to go and um, uh, 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 take the drug, especially if their symptoms don't seem to be worsening uh, by the time they call uh, because of this whole concept that they could be at risk for repeat isolation. Now, I've had a number of reports. I think it might be higher than 2%. I honestly, of course, don't know. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of bias risk because I'm only hearing about cases where people are testing. So they either have repeat symptoms or that stay day six or seven after onset, they've taken their five-day course and they're doing an antigen test. And we'll have a, a, some Q&A to help uh, also address some questions uh, regarding follow-up testing in isolation. So just something to consider, I think, that I certainly talk to patients about now. Now, for people that are you know, 75, 85, um, if they have major health problems, I certainly still prescribe it if there's not contraindications or major drug interactions. Lastly, we've just mentioned uh, that COVID, of course, even during the Omicron phase, accounted for a significant number of deaths, and those largely were in people over 65. And I think there's increasing recognition. This is beyond post-COVID per se, but this is sort of what we've seen also with influenza. That is, if you have influenza, it can trigger or cause additional health problems that are objective and not of the subjective Uh, PASC or so-called long-haul COVID nature, but things that are more serious. And, you know, CDC has looked at, you know, a year and a half of data uh, through Delta, really, and found that um, about 20% of people that were diagnosed had additional health problems. And actually that number was a one in four in people that are over 65. And the most common issue was uh, pulmonary emboli and blood clots, as you can see here on this slide, there are a number of uh, problems that can be not just single, but additive uh, here. So, you know, if anything, I think this behooves for these issues here to emphasize, especially in your older patients that have still perhaps been resistant to getting immunization, uh, to strongly consider it to avoid the consequences of severe COVID-19, which are certainly more likely to precipitate these conditions. So Faith, I think we have a a couple of questions uh, this week.
0: Yes, we do. Thank you so much. Um, The first question. Is there any value of fluvoxamine in treating outpatients with COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, possibly so, but maybe not on a routine basis. And uh, this question has been subject to a clinical trial where there was benefit with reduction in hospitalization uh, in a large trial in Brazil. Now, whether that applies to the United States isn't as clear. Um, and there was a much smaller trial that also suggested benefit. So uh, in terms of the so-called repurposed drugs, this does have some uh, solid clinical data behind it. I think the issue is, you know, it's a funny thing. We don't understand its mechanism. It was uh, performed in a different healthcare system in terms of the large trial. Um, None of the major guidelines have endorsed it, but others feel it could still have a role I guess if a patient was very resistant to taking any of the drug therapies but was at risk, it could be prescribed. And of course, it's much less expensive uh, than any of the monoclonal or oral treatment modalities. But we don't have any head-to-head information, which of course really would be the discriminator whether it should be used you know, above other treatments. And I think most people in my field, which is infectious diseases, wouldn't pull this off the shelf as first-line therapy. I would say uh, in our own guidance internally in our health system, we offered it as an option in December of 2021 when citrobimab was in very short supply. We didn't yet have the oral drug therapy and we had a new variant, Omicron, which had knocked out prior monoclonal therapy. So it seemed one of the few available therapies that might have some work, but I still don't think it was widely uh, used by anyone at that time. So um, it, it's something that I think to keep in our back pocket, especially uh, if there's resistance to any of the uh, treatment modalities that we have.
0: Okay, great. And the next question, the CDC still says that people with COVID can leave isolation after five days, and that's if symptoms are improving. So in your opinion, with rapid antigen tests readily available now, what do you think of the CDC guidance?
1: Yeah, so uh, Faith, I think it's still reasonable guidance, especially since for people that are boosted and immunized, you know, uh, many people have, you know, relatively minor flu-like illnesses. And remember this guidance developed during the crisis phase of Omicron when there was tremendous staffing shortages uh, in essential industries and the healthcare industry. And even then there was a recognition that uh, I'll say what might've been a back of the envelope uh, determination that maybe 15% of people might still be um, with significant levels of virus that could, could cause transmission. Now, you must remember that you can leave isolation, but you're supposed to wear a Type fitting mask for an additional five days, which, of course, would lessen the possibility of transmission to others, and you're not supposed to travel. Now, how well this is adhered to? Certainly back when it was a 10-day isolation period. you know, I think the reality is people were just not doing that very much, and now we have a more contagious virus than ever. Uh, I do think antigen testing has a role in certain situations, especially if you're living with people in your household or potentially at work where you don't want to risk transmission. Uh, Doing home tests uh, for a day or two on day six or seven to see if you still have significant amounts of virus because I think an antigen positive test will correlate with higher levels that might indicate transmission. Of course, this is how many patients have... um, determine that they are having a Paxilvid rebound. Um, Even if they only have very minor symptoms, they're noticing that an antigen test was negative, say on day five or six, and then positive again on day seven or eight. So just like we recommend wearing masks in people more at risk, if you're in environments where transmission to others could still cause grave harm or inconvenience, I think the testing is not unreasonable in people that um, have symptoms and are wondering about the safety for themselves and others in terms of um, mask wearing or more engagement uh, with others uh, before 10 days have passed.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Faith. And uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning into this and I hope it was helpful and uh, we'll certainly have future programs uh, to keep up to date on on these topics that continue to evolve. Thanks for listening.